0: This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hey, is this thing on? Welcome to Maddox on the Mic, a legal podcast presented by Maddox, an independent Australian law firm. Hello and welcome to Maddox on the Mic. Today on the Talking Workplaces podcast, we'll be talking about the workplaces of 2022, having a look into the future as we come up for air after the COVID pandemic. My name is Michael Nicolato, and I'm a partner in the Melbourne Employment Safety and People team. Also joining me today is Vanessa Anderson, who's a partner from our Sydney Employment Safety and People team. Vanessa, how are you?
1: I'm good, Michael, and I'm pleased to be uh, joining the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So. Uh, like I said, we're going to have a look at what we expect to see the big issues for, for 2022. And while we while we uh, you know, expect uh, COVID to continue to, to play a role in the employment law landscape, uh, in particular, um, this current issue of, of mandatory vaccinations uh, and vaccinations, we want to look beyond that and, and look at what we hope is a, a bit of a return to normal, if there is such a thing, uh, in, in 2022. Uh, and so firstly, we're going to look at a, a couple of decisions that are pending from the High Court, which we think will uh, dramatically um, change or, or have an impact on the landscape, and then give uh, our listeners some tips on how to introduce some changes forced or, or required by business uh, needs. And then look at some practical uh, things and practical tips that they can do for next year as well.
1: I might start by talking about this issue of independent contractors and whether a a, a worker is an independent contractor or an employee. I've been in the game for around 25 years and (laughs) this issue has always been one um, that causes a real issue for employers. Um, The risk often um, crystallises at a time uh, the relationship comes to an end. And comes to an end with a disgruntled party mm-hmm. and um, it also has implications of course uh, for taxation in terms of compliance with ATO laws for, for how you tax if someone says you've treated as an independent contractor who says puts their hand up and says well I'm actually an employee and I deserve and am entitled to all of the rights of an employee Including leave and access to remedies, like yep. for example unfair dismissal. So it's not new that this has been a matter of controversy in the courts, including all the way up to the High Court. Until recently, the law was reasonably uh, the law was reasonably settled um, mm. in relation to a multi factors uh, test. Hollison v. was the leading case. And that case uh, developed a set of indicia of factors that employers could look to. Um, And sometimes it wasn't easy and isn't easy uh, to go through those factors, but there was sort of a framework that we could look at. And one of the issues was not so much looking at the formality of the contract, the formality of the relationship and the prime issue of control. That's been put into a little bit of um, contention Um, at the moment and so um, you'll know we had the decision which wasn't squarely on independent contractors but in Rosato earlier this year and that really set the cat amongst the pigeons Um, in terms of some (laughs) in terms of some comments by the High Court about the primacy of a contract
0: Um,
1: and that a contract defines the relationship whereas we've been you know employers have been approaching it on uh what you do in the the contract is part of it but actually what you do day to day denotes how the relationship should be viewed at law and we've got some really interesting cases coming up um two in particular that the high court has heard but is yet to give a decision on we're hoping it'll be by the end of the year um and and that's two cases. One, it's the EU and the personnel contracting. And the other one is ZG Operations Australia and JAMSEC. Each of those cases were different. And it will be very interesting to see how the court uh, looks at this issue of what is an employee and what is an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. So really briefly, and without boring you all in relation to all the facts, the CFM I'll call it the personnel contracting uh, case. That's an appeal from the full federal court. The worker in that case was a young 22-year-old from Britain in Australia on a working visa. He had about eight months' experience as a bricklayer and he had also worked as a barman. When he arrived in Australia, he approached a labour hire company, Personnel, was interviewed, he was successful and presented with relevant paperwork which he signed and he was then offered work as a labourer with one of Personnel's clients. Hmm. He worked regular hours for the client under its control and supervision doing basic building work, cleaning the site, removing rubbish, preparing for the site uh, for work by others. And basically... Strangely, for a lot of um, employment practitioners, the full court said that Mr McCourt was, and the the relevant employee, was an independent contractor. And the court in its majority, Michael, made some comments about, you know, criticism of the current multifactorial test Mm, that employers, uh, you know, engage in. And that actually this was too binary. And that because of the changing nature, I made some comments about the changing nature of the workplace, which I think, Michael, you can talk about um, in a moment, mm. um, but that it was difficult now to have this sort of binary uh, view about workers. Similarly, although a different outcome, the same sorts of issues were dealt with in JAMSEC. Um, the applicants were truck drivers for about 40 years for uh, ZG operations. and. They actually purchased their own trucks um, and to use in their employment, and they became um, contractors in 2017. This was long, long-standing. It was from
0: 1985.
1: Mm. 2017, um, their employment was terminated by the company, and they sought to make some claims based on their employment status. In this case, um, and the main judgment, at which the others concurred. Said that the applicants were at all times employees despite the presence of indicia of an independent contracting relationship, and that these two drivers, notwithstanding they had their own trucks and were conducting some of their own business, were an integral part of the employer's business, and that there was a long, uninterrupted period for which the applicants worked for the company. Again, not made as strong a criticism of the multifactorial uh, test, um, but Really, you need to look at all of the circumstances in any given case. We're waiting to see, but I know, uh, Michael, you and I've discussed before. You know, this then leads into you know the the law and the the thinking on the gig economy generally and the nature of who is an employee.
0: Yeah, it really addresses. You know, we see these issues arise on a daily basis, uh, and I guess as employment lawyers, that's why they're so exciting because. Uh, It really goes back to the fundamentals of, you know, whether a person is an employee or a contractor, uh, one, but also it has broader implications, like you said. So you, you may remember there was the decision from the Fair Work Commission in around May this year which found that a, a Deliveroo driver was in fact an employee. And that's pretty, guess um, it was pretty unexpected and unusual because there was a shift in that decision away from the, the traditional notions of who an employee is. And, and the commissioner yeah. in that decision looked at the at factors but said, look, well, on balance, uh, this person is an employee. Uh, or even though he was uh, working for various uh, deli- food delivery um, companies you know, through through an app. So has a landscape to has the potential to change the the gig economy landscape uh, deliver appeal that decision appeal submissions were made and, and really said you know the, the fair work commission's decision does grapple with the traditional notion of employment uh, the gig economy how are you meant to um, you know uh, correlate the for example you know the minimum wage for someone who's working uh, three different uh, on three different apps um, sharing platforms all at the same time so really you know um yeah you know, critical con- concepts uh, to grapple with yeah and so the, and- fa- the the full bench said we'll just wait until we get some clarity from Jamsec uh and, and from um, personnel contracting so we'll see we'll see it play out in, in all contexts so it's really really um interesting decisions
1: yeah and um listeners and michael you know Uber settled. Yeah. It wildly right. reported yeah. that Uber settled an unfair dismissal case for the princely sum of four hundred thousand um, dollars. That's right. Earlier yeah. or mid this year, clearly commercially, in an, um, to not have this this matter tested in that forum, but it will be tested now. Yeah. And um, so twenty twenty two might be looking quite different
0: on that front. Definitely, and that, and that's exciting. That's exciting. Mm. Um, and another case that. Uh, we think will have an impact on business decisions for, for 2022 is, is the Qantas decision. And it's loosely been referred to as the Qantas outsourcing decision. So it's, it's more so uh, a salient reminder, I guess, for employers to, to make sure that you know, if they're introducing structural changes, if they need to introduce you know, uh, reductions or, or, or redundancies, that they really do so for, for genuine operational reasons. Uh, And what I mean by that, and I'll make reference to to the Qantas um, facts. So late last year, Qantas made a decision to to outsource its baggage handling operations at at a number of airports to a third-party provider. And Qantas said they, they were forced to do so given the impacts of the pandemic. Interestingly, the union uh, disagreed and, and they said, well, what Qantas has done, uh, they've made a decision to prevent our members from being able to take any protected industrial action. Uh, and, and as I said, you know, Qantas had, had embraced the approach of never letting a good crisis go to waste. Basically, they're <laughs> arguing that um, Qantas saw an opportunity to prevent industrial action being taken when the enterprise agreements uh, expired. Uh, And before that could happen, they um, outsourced uh, the work to this third party. So the, the decision is quite technical insofar as it looks at the provisions of the um, general protections uh, provisions in the Fair Work Act. But key key things to remember for employers going into 2022, if there is a need to bring about changes, structural changes, you need to ensure that that need is not for any or does not include any prohibited reason. So it can't be for any um, union activity or, 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 or industrial uh, activity or uh, any workplace rights that arise under the Act uh, or, or any protected attributes. Mm. Uh, and, and the key thing is to remember that if there is such an assertion made, the onus does flip on the employer to prove that the decision to you know outsource or the decision to introduce some redundancies was not because of any workplace rights, but was solely because of uh, the genuine operational business need. Uh, and so as well as that reverse onus, there is a need to, to have credible and code and evidence from the decision-making.
1: Yeah, and I think it is a timely reminder looking at 2022, as we said in the beginning, we're hoping, let's have a lot of optimism here, that businesses yeah. will be able to take a little bit of a breath to assess where business needs and to be starting to put into place, you know, changes, um, amendments to policies and mm. potentially wholesale, you know, structural changes which are yeah. going to suit the business going forward in the i hate the term michael but the new normal you know <laughs> or whatever it's going to what look will part. that be yeah. the not so yeah. new normal i don't know and um being aware of um you know the the real basis for that and not just making sure that you're avoiding adverse action but also being otherwise fair and reasonable and complying yeah. with all your obligations is obviously, you know, the journey that employers yeah. will have to have to go about when thinking about these sorts of changes from a workplace perspective, which probably feeds in really well, um, Michael, to the last topic we were going to be talking about, which is about sort of almost a grab bag of some issues that we see. Mm. might be happening um, particularly once and hopefully um, you know hr managers and senior executive teams can be taking a little bit of a breath maybe yeah. over january <laughs> a little bit of a break and looking at things with fresh eyes it's a good time to be able to go back to basics and not be in a crisis reactive world mm. yeah and think proactively about the nature and structure and terms and conditions of employees
0: yeah Spoiler. so i think yeah a really simple and I think almost, you know, normal thing uh, can be looking at your policies, your contracts and your procedures. You know, we've been operating uh, in this crisis mode for well, 18 months or so and, you know, um, how, how often has a HR manager or an executive team been able to step, step back and say, okay, what do our policies look like? What do we need to have included in them? Uh, yeah. And hopefully early next year is, is that opportunity.
1: Yeah. In, you know, including are they fit for purpose for a compliance From a compliance Mm -hmm. level, I mean, we've had the 27th of uh, September date for casual um, conversion, which I'm sure everyone, all employers are aware of. But are your contracts um, for for new starters as well um, updated to reflect some of the changes? Flexible work is going to be uh, one of the big issues. And flexible work as a permanent arrangement, not a reaction to COVID restrictions. Are those policies still fit for purpose? Mm-hmm. Do they need to change? Is there an expectation um, now, um, I would say there is, for most employees to think that they can work flexibly, not just in terms of working from home, but in terms of the, their hours and the other things that they might like to prioritise in their life as well as work. So if there is going to be sort of major changes um, to the expectations or requirements of a workplace, then I guess the first thing is, is consulting early on that. Many employers will have award covered and enterprise agreement covered employees where there will be obligations to consult. But even if you don't have broad or widespread obligations to consult on major sort of workplace change and rosters can be part of that, of course, it's uh, always best practice um, to be consulting. As I said, updating those more permanent, uh, updating those policies and procedures to be more permanent to work for the business. What do employers need to look at? Well, they need to look at, of course, the operational needs of the business. Mm. They need to then marry those up and balance those with what is fair and reasonable what's actually going to be happening i mean we're getting all of us are getting spooked by this notion of the great resignation At the end of COVID, what can we be doing even just from a commercial point of view to be retaining talent and and engaging um, our people, considering um, requests and circumstances of individuals and, of course, all of this as well um, with an eye to minimising the risk of claims. So a discrimination claim on the basis of either a capacity issue uh, if that's the need for flexible work or a carer's responsibility, trying to um, manage um, the, the risk of um, constructive dismissal if requests are declined, as well as um, adverse action claims. As well, uh, for those that are heavily uh, unionised uh, workplaces, um, the potential for industrial disputes.
0: Yeah, um yep. I think there's... It, it's yeah it's ripe, isn't it for yeah you know, what, what we've um, we've sort of missed that um that, that sort those sorts of issues uh and I think they'll, they'll definitely come back uh in, in a big way in, in 2022 and some big things to think about
1: yeah absolutely there are of course some other things which are probably not as exciting no. Michael. <laughs> Super, superannuation? Um, superannuation!
0: <laughs> so there were some changes, and, and they take effect in a little while, about choice of fund rules. So this concept of stapling. Uh, so if a new employee starts from the 1st of November this year, uh, 2021, uh, and if they don't nominate a super fund, then the employer needs to take an additional step. Uh, and rather than just make contrib- contributions into the employer's default fund, they need to check with the ATO whether the employee has an existing account. So basically, uh, existing fund. So an employee's fund is now stapled to the employee. So it, it's designed to prevent the drain of paying additional fees and having multiple super accounts, which is probably a, a good introduction.
1: Mm. Also,
0: practically, there was a, the increase in the uh, the rate this year from 9.5% to 10%. And that's going to increase again next year as of 1 July to, to um, 10.5%. So that's something to, to keep in mind from a more technical operational perspective. And we've also had we've had a whole raft of reviews uh, and commentary on sexual harassment in the workplace. Uh, and what we yeah. will see shortly is the Fair Work Commission have. Uh, jurisdiction to issue anti-sexual harassment uh, or, or stop sexual harassment orders so mm-hmm. similar to the, uh, the stop bullying orders jurisdiction that they've currently uh, given to the Work commission the commission can make preventative orders to prevent the risk of further harm from uh, sexual harassment. Uh, and so we would expect to see that jurisdiction being enlivened uh, next year as well but hopefully um, hopefully not too often.
1: Yeah, it will be really interesting to see the take-up of that given, you know, just like the anti-bullying jurisdiction, this is not a forum for employees to get sort of compensation or monetary right, relief. Yeah. And it is for current employees. So just like we we really didn't see the influx of claims or or request for orders that we thought we might have on anti- No, that's right. It will, be, it will be very interesting to see uh, the take-up, but certainly employers need to be aware of it. And I know the Fair Work Commission is um, issuing a, a, a separate bench book um, yes, in relation right. to yeah. that. So that will be a really good resource for practitioners as well as both HR and legal practitioners um, who work in the space. Yeah.
0: And, of course, yeah. we
1: have some, you know, politics um, all happening, which (laughs) always has a big impact on workplace laws.
0: Let's not forget, that's right, there's going to be an election next year at the Commonwealth level. And so we would expect uh, both parties to be going, both major parties to be going to the election with some IR changes. It's quite difficult to crystal ball gaze, those sorts of changes, but there's no doubt that'll happen. There's also yep. a state election happening here in Victoria and the Andrews government has been quite proactive in, in introducing additional rights and obligations for employees down here. So it'd be interesting to see whether they go to um, the election with uh, anything in addition to that's already been introduced.
1: Yeah, of course. In New South Wales, we have a new premier who's yet to um, announce their cabinet. That's going to be happening over January, and so there could be some tweaks. And then, for particularly in respect of public sector employment, we'll just wait to see. Um, mm. And no doubt the, the the policy and the changes will be the subject of another podcast next year yeah. when <laughs> when um, those policies are, particularly at the federal level, are released.
0: Yeah. Well, definitely look forward to, to the next time we meet on the podcast, Vanessa. Thank you for your time today. Definitely, uh, and thank And thank you to our listeners. Uh, hopefully um, provide a, a snapshot of some issues that we see arising uh, in, in 2022. We thank you for listening uh, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to myself, Vanessa, or a member of our teams. Uh, and if you did like this episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Maddox on the Mic. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to maddox.com.au forward slash podcast to subscribe. If you'd like more information on any of the topics discussed in today's episode, visit the Maddox website, maddox.com.au.